Today's scripture reading is from Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was walking, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray together. We invite you, Father, to send your spirit right now to speak to us from your word. Uh, give me words that are in line with your truth. Give us hearts that are open to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. The mission of our church is to glorify God by learning of God, by living in Christ, and by loving God and our neighbors. And one thing that helps me to kind of uh, envision this is to think of the direction that we're looking. So when we talk about learning of God, I picture us looking upward. We look up to our Father in heaven to hear him speak to us from his word so that he can reveal himself to us, so we can learn from him, know who he is. So learning of God, we're looking up. When we talk of living in Christ, I think of us looking within. I'm looking at my life, not yours. I'm not here to judge you, but I'm looking at my life. God, are you changing me? Am I growing to become more and more like Christ? So we look up, we look in, and then when we, when we think of loving God and our neighbors, yes, we look up to love God, but it's more than that. This is where we look out. We look in an outward direction at the people God has placed in the world around us, and we think about what we might do to show the love of Christ to them. It's about loving our neighbors. And that's, that's what the, the parable of the, uh, the Good Samaritan is all about. <clears throat> this is a parable about what it means to love our neighbors. And in this parable, Jesus, he teaches us three things. 
He teaches us whom we are to love, who we are to love. He teaches us how we are to love them, and he teaches us why. Well, in other words, what should motivate us to do this? So we'll start with who. <clears throat> who, who does Jesus tell us that we are to love? Well, let, let's, uh, let's look at the context. In the passage, an expert in the Mosaic Law, a man who had studied the Scriptures his entire life, he comes up to Jesus with a question. Verse 25, he says to him, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? or to enter the life of the age, the age to come. And I think you'd agree, what a good question to ask. It would be horrible to go your entire life and never think about eternity, never ask a question like this. So he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus basically says, hey, you're an expert in the law. You should know, what does the law say? And the man responds with a well-known answer. Rabbis of Christ's time, in fact, Jesus himself, would have summarized all the laws of the Old Testament with these two commands. He, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got it. You are correct. That's the right, do that, he says, and you will live. Verse 29 says, but the man wanted to justify himself. And I bet we all know what that feels like. I do. You start to feel a little bit convicted and you think about how can I get myself off the hook? What would be some excuse that I could make? It says the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words, um, who exactly am I responsible to love? And that's where Jesus tells this parable. He says, a man, a man was going down a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's interesting. He, he, doesn't, he, doesn't give any, uh, he doesn't mention anything about the man's ethnicity, nothing distinctive about him, which meads, leads me to think he was just, he's, he's just assuming that his, his, uh, his listeners, when they hear a man, will just think, well, it's a man like us. It's an Israelite. It's another, it's another Jewish man just like me. A man, he says, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. End of verse 30. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So in the parable, and this is well known, you know this story, in the parable, who is it that helps the beaten man? Who comes to his rescue? Was it a fellow Israelite? Was it the priest or the Levite? No. Is it, is it someone, in other words, is it someone who shares this man's ethnic background, who shares this man's religious convictions? Is, it, is the one who helps him someone like him? No, it's not. The man is rescued by a Samaritan. And many of you, I'm sure, know that in, in, uh, in first century Palestine, the Samaritans and the Jewish people, these were two ethnic groups that did not get along. They never ate together, they never spent time together, they would have lived in separate neighborhoods, they did not associate with each. In fact, sometimes they absolutely hated each other. So in the parable, the injured, beaten man, he is rescued by someone who is not from his group. He's, he's rescued by someone who is not like him. And, and so, Christ is teaching us here, and this is so important, that when we think about loving our neighbors, hear me, we must not limit ourselves by focusing only on people who are like us. When we think about loving our neighbors, we must not, 
not limit our focus to just people of our group. And um, the reason that's important, because it's so easy to do that. It's just, it's just kind of instinctive to human nature to want to be, we, we just, it's instinctive to want to be with our own kind. Back in uh, 1968, they made a very famous movie called The Planet of the Apes. Maybe you've seen that or you've seen the, the remakes of it. The, the, uh, the lead actor in The Planet of the Apes was Charlton Heston. And they once interviewed Charlton Heston. They asked him, what was it like to make that movie? And he said, it was the weirdest thing. He said, on set, we, we have all these, all these actors. I mean, we're all actors. We're all the same. We're all members of the same Screen Actors Guild. But we were dressed differently. Some were dressed like humans, you know. Some were dressed like different kinds of apes. And he said, even though no one told us we had to do this, when it came time for the lunch break, we all just kind of instinctively gathered with our own group. You had one table that was all the humans. You had another table, all the gorillas. One table, all the orangutans. Another table, all the people dressed like chimpanzees. We just, no one told us, we just instinctively clustered with our own kind. And that's, that's so natural to us. You see this in society as well. So we live in New York City. This is an international city. And we sometimes pride ourselves on that. We have people here from all over the world right? And New Yorkers, we will often pride ourselves in how progressive we are in our thinking, right? Um, but uh, did you know that in New York City, even though we're so diverse and we value the idea of diversity, in New York City, the New York City public school system is among and perhaps is the most ethnically segregated school system in America. It's just, it, so we're just segregated. And so here's what's weird. In theory, we're in favor of diversity. In theory, we're in, fact in favor of, in, of integration. But when it comes to choosing where we're going to live, when it comes to choosing who we're going to live around, when it comes to choosing who we want our children to go to school with, New Yorkers, we isolate ourselves just as much as anyone else. But in this parable, Jesus is saying, that among his followers, in his church, it must not be that way. There's, there's, there is to be something about those who follow Jesus that's radically different than what's seen in the world. When, when we think about loving our neighbors, we must not limit ourselves just to our kind of people. In, in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 46 and 47, Jesus said this. He said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors the worst sinners doing that? And he says, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? So, so Christ would say th that to the extent that you only hang out with your kind of people, however you define that, maybe people of the same age group as you, maybe people of the same marital status, people of the same uh, educational level as you, people of the same ethnic background, people who share your political convictions. He would say to the extent that you only hang out with your kind of people, he would say then to, the, to that extent, the gospel has not yet really changed you. When the, when the gospel changes you, it just it broadens your social network. It broadens the people you, the kind of people you break bread with kind of people who, who, who come into your home, the people you spend time with. And so, first, who? Whom are we to love? Who is my neighbor? Jesus would say, anyone in need, everyone in need. 
that, that God puts in your path regardless of who they are. So that's whom we are to love. Now, secondly, from the parable, how are we to love them? Here's a question to think about. How, if, if, how would you describe, you look at the actions of the, the Samaritan, how would you describe the kind of love that the Samaritan demonstrates in the parable? And many of you would say right off the bat, it was a very active love. Would you agree with that? Very active. In, in other words, the Samaritan, he is not a person who just talked about love or sang songs about love, or, or wrote books about love, right? He put his love, you notice, into action. Verse 34 says, The Samaritan went to the beaten man, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. that They would have used that as medicine back then. It says, Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. He put his love into action. And I bet you know, you probably do, that the Bible tells us that this is exactly what we are to do. Put our love into action. First, First John 3 verse 18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech. Don't just talk about love. It says, but with actions and in truth. C.S. Lewis made a very interesting observation. He, he wrote this. He said, do not waste your time worrying about whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. He said, as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will soon come to love them. Now, there are people in our church who've experienced that. Those, those, for example, those who volunteer with the ESL, those who volunteer with the helps ministry, you know, maybe helping load people's moving trucks or things like that. Those who are with the, the meals ministry, taking meals to people who need them. They've experienced this, that you may not be feeling any kind of love for the person you're serving, but once you put it into action, you, you, you actually do something to love one, what happens? Pretty soon, your own heart begins to feel an affinity toward them, Right? The action leads to a change in your own heart. So, how did the Samaritan love? How are we to love? First, with an active love. Secondly, you observe that the, the Samaritan loved with a sacrificial love. His, his acts of love toward this injured man, it cost him something. Verse 35 says, The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper so he would look after the man. So for the Samaritan, what was the cost of loving this stranger? The cost was two denarii. And they would tell us that that was about the equivalent of two days' wages. You know, sometimes somebody might be panhandling. You might give them a dollar. Can you imagine giving them a two, two days' salary to somebody, a stranger? It, it, that's, that's what it cost him. And listen, it always, always costs something to love another person. Oh, it may cost money, it may cost energy, it may cost you some degree of aggravation. It may cost you, and Annie spoke about this, this is perhaps the most priceless gift, it may cost you your time, right? So, for example, if you want to volunteer in the, uh, the Hillside Center for Education. We have a, it's an online tutoring program. Or if you would like to volunteer in uh, the, the group homework help that we have at the Boys and Girls Club. Either of those, it would cost you time. Not a lot of time, but a couple of hours a week. It would cost you that. By the way, if you have very limited time and you don't want to waste your time, you want to, like a really good investment of your time, I could not think of a better investment than those two ministries. They, studies have shown 
that if a child is not reading at his or her uh, grade level by the time they're in third grade, they are four times less likely to graduate high school. If they are from an impoverished family, and many of the kids we're working with are, they are six times less likely to, to graduate from high school. Studies have also shown, this just is amazing, high school dropouts are 63 times more likely to be incarcerated than kids that finish high school and go on to, to complete college. I mean, just a, a little investment of time in a child's life at a crucial moment could change their life. What a good investment of time, right? But it, will, it would cost time to do that, wouldn't it? It always costs something to love someone else. James chapter 2. We heard Annie speak from James chapter 1 about loving widows and orphans in their distress. I agree with your interpretation, Annie. This is anyone who's in need. James chapter 2 says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In other words, if you're not pay, willing to pay some kind of cost to, to help somebody's needs, what, what, what kind of love is that? So how does he love the Samaritan? How are we to love? Active love, sacrificial love. Um, one more thing you could say, it's, this is... He demonstrated committed love, just a, a, a willingness to, to keep loving no matter what, ongoing love. The, uh, so verse 35 says that after he pays the innkeeper to take care of the man, he says to him at the end of the verse, he said, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Today, we would say he just gave him his credit card number and said, let's just keep a running tab here. I don't care what it costs. I don't care how long it takes. I want to see this thing all the way through to the end. I'm here for the long haul. So his love, this was not like a one-off one act of uh, compassion. This was not a random act of kindness. He was committed. He was committed to doing whatever would be required to seeing this, this situation of need carried all the way through to, uh, to completion. And I think, would you agree with this? I think that the world we live in needs to see that kind of love. Now, every, year, um, every year at Thanksgiving, um, soup kitchens, food pantries all across America are just flooded with volunteers who would like to come in and spend a few hours of their holiday helping to feed the hungry. And by the way, if you do that, that is a very good thing to do. But we all know that people are hungry more than just once a year. Right? They're hungry more than just at Thanksgiving. And, and, and what, what, listen, what people who struggle with food insecurity need is they need people who are committed to caring for them all year long, addressing that year. And so we, do you know that we have people in our church who do that? We have people in our church who every, every month, some of them more than once a month, uh, volunteer at this fantastic food pantry in our, in our neighborhood, the Our Children Food Pantry. Some have been doing that for years. In other words, it, what, what they want to do, and they don't, listen, they don't want anyone to get all, give them all kinds of attention, but they just, they don't want merely to care for um, food insecurity once and then that's it, but just to be committed to this. I'm, I'm committed to this cause. I want to stick with this. So that's the kind of love the Samaritan shows. That's the kind of love this parable is teaching us. Active love, not just words, sacrificial, it'll cost something, committed, ongoing love. So that's how we are to love our neighbors. So whom are we to love? Anyone who needs help, even if they're not one, like us, right? 
How do we do them? Actively, sacrificially, in an ongoing way. Now, finally, why? What, by the, here's what I mean. What should motivate us to love our neighbors? And this is, this is, I think, the most important question we could ask today. Here's why it's important. Because it's so easy when you hear a sermon like this to start to feel guilty. I wonder if any of you are starting to feel guilty. Am I laying it on thick enough? Are you starting to feel guilty? Listen, if you are, please stop. Stop. Guilt is a horrible motivator. When it comes to loving people around us, it just, guilt does not, it never works. A couple of reasons. First, guilt never works because it, if, if, you're, if you're serving people out of a sense of duty or guilt, it, it, that kind of love will never last. It will never, it, won't, it just won't last. In the parable, the, the priest and the Levite, these are, these are highly moral, pe- moral people. They know the law. They know right from wrong. They know they're supposed to help the man who's lying in the ditch. All right? Did you notice? Why do they... Jesus doesn't just say they walked past him. They walked by on the other side. Why did they go to the other side? I, I think they crossed to the other side the same reason I changed the channel when that commercial of all these, you know, uh, poor children comes on because it makes me feel guilty. It made them feel guilty to see that guy in guilt. Listen, guilt is never sufficient as a motivator to drive us to real action. It just, we, we might help a little, but we won't help very long. So, That's one reason guilt is a horrible motivator. Another is because, listen, when you serve others because you feel like it's your duty, I'm supposed to do it, you do it out of a sense of guilt, when you serve others that way, your love is is never real. It's not genuine love. You're not really loving person, people. You're just using them to kind of ease your conscience, right, to make make you feel better about yourself. And Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be your project. No, nobody wants to be the background prop in the, in, in the selfie that you post on Instagram showing the whole world how good you are. See, I helped this poor man. No, that's, that's just that's so humility, humiliating for people to be served that way. So guilt, guilt just let's, can we just say no guilt, all right? Please, Lord, deliver us. Guilt is just the wrong motivator when it comes to loving others. But when you look at this parable, this this parable is a masterfully crafted story. Jesus, when, when, when he tells this parable, it's as if he is deliberately structuring this story in such a way that it will not fill his hearers with guilt. So... The, uh, the man comes up to Jesus and says, who is my neighbor? Um, and, and it's a story. So Jesus could tell the story any way he wants. The man says, who is my neighbor? If Jesus had said to the expert in the law, well, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a man just like you. He was an, he was an Israelite just like you. And this man that I mentioned, he's just like you. He's traveling down the road, and he sees a Samaritan in the ditch, and that man just like you helps the Samaritan. If Jesus had told the story that way, in other words, if the protagonist, if the hero of the story had been someone that the expert in the law could easily identify with, then the expert in law would hear this and he'd say, well, I guess I'm supposed to be the hero of the story. 
I'm supposed to be the good guy who goes out there and helps these dirty Samaritans. And, and that would lead him down the path to guilt. He could never live up to that. But notice, the hero, the protagonist in this story is someone the expert in the law could never identify with. In a million years, he could never think of himself as a Samaritan. It's like there's no way he could think of himself as the hero of the story. In fact, the only person in the story he would readily identify with, he's not a priest, he's not a Levite, would have been the Israelite lying in the ditch. It would have been, he would have thought of himself, that's me in this story. So do you see how Jesus crafts, how he, he structures this story? The parable is designed to force the hearer to think of themselves not as the giver of help, but as the recipient of help. That's, that's why the question gets all twisted around. Did you, did you notice that? The, the, the expert in the law, the question is, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? Jesus doesn't end with that question. He never answers that question. Jesus, the way he ends it is not who is the man's neighbor, but who is neighbor to the man. In other words, he wants us to, as we hear this story, not to be asking, who am I supposed to love? But to be asking, who is it that has loved me? Who has loved me? Christian, who has loved you, even though you're his enemy? Who has loved you, even though it cost him a lot? Listen, any Christian knows the answer to that. We would say that's Jesus, right? Je the good Samaritan is Jesus. He's, he's the one who loved us, even though Romans 5 says that we were his enemies. He, he loved us anyway. He's the one who loved us at great cost to himself, to denary. No, his, his entire life on the cross. He, and here, would you hear this? Jesus is the one who is so committed to loving you, believer. He will not stop loving you ever. He will carry his love for you all the way through eternity. He's, we are not the good Samaritan. We're not the hero of this story. We're, you know who we are? We're the guy in the ditch. We, we are the ones bruised and beaten. We are, we are the ones in need of help. The good Samaritan is Christ. One, one uh, Christian author named Christopher Yuan, he wrote this. He said, the main takeaway of this parable is not Love your neighbor by trying to be good like the Good Samaritan, but rather love your neighbor by realizing that you're the traveler. And Jesus is this Good Samaritan who has loved you first. You, you ever notice when, when uh, you meet someone, and you've met people like this, they just seem to have a heart that is big, as big as the world. Right? They're all, you know people, like they're always having people come eat at their table. They're always helping. When, you, whenever you meet someone like that, in, in, inevitably when you talk to them, how did you become this kind of person? They'll never say, well, one morning I just woke up and decided to try to be good. No. They'll talk about the time that their apartment was gutted by fire and someone took them in. Or they'll talk about the time when they were addicted to drugs and someone helped them get sober. Or they'll talk about the time when, when, when they... When they moved to this country and couldn't speak English and someone helped them, right? In other words, they won't talk about their effort to try to be good. They'll talk about how they received love from someone else. And for the Christian, oh my, have, have we not received love from someone else? Have we? We were in the ditch. We were his enemies. He stopped and at great cost to himself, he rescued us. 
absolutely right, Jeffrey. We don't deserve anything, Jeff, but we receive everything, don't we, from him. So here's why we're to love our neighbors, and I hope this has not been a guilt trip for you today. We, we are to love our neighbors, not because we're the hero in the story. We are to love our neighbors um, actively, committedly, sacrificially. Why? Because the hero, the real hero in the story, he loved us first. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Thank you for the love of Jesus. We did nothing to deserve it, and he has loved us infinitely. I, I pray, Father, that now as we prepare to go to the, to the table, that you would just bathe us with an awareness of that love. That we would, even for right now, just stop even thinking about our neighbors and just think about Jesus who loves us. May that love, give us all a, a heart that's open to receive it, and may that love transform us to love others in, in, to his glory. Amen.